Welcome to Top Stories. I am Andy Zaltzman, rummaging around in the past of the bugle once again. Let's face it, British politics does not exactly have the same level of razzmatazz as that mustered up by the Americans. And in October 2009, well, the Conservatives didn't disappoint. By which I mean, they disappointed. Here I am with John Oliver, reliving the drama of the Tory party conference. Top story this week, in the words of the late great S Club 7, there ain't no party conference like a conservative party conference. Hey, ho, hey, ho. If you want a visual definition of human awkwardness, Andy, (laughs) all you need to do is get yourself to the Tory party conference and look at an audience of white, pension-aged English people attempting to whoop. (laughs) It would be sad if it wasn't so pathetic. This week has been proof, if proof were needed, that British people cannot do razzmatazz. <laughs> this time last year, I just got back from the Democrat and Republican Party conventions, and they know how to put on a show, Andy. Balloons. An almost sarcastic amount of balloons. <laughs> the problem is, the British people just cannot carry off this level of sincerity and enthusiasm. We've become immune to it. The wind changed sometime in the late 1800s, and we've <laughs> lost the capacity to fully commit to any emotion. It was a kind of curious conference, because the Conservatives are basically the government in waiting. They will almost certainly bobsled into power with the biggest default landslide victory in democratic history in May. And their conference, well, I guess if you were to sum it up, you'd say, yeah, it was all right. Adequate. Really adequate. Didn't really bother ramming home their opinion poll advantage. Couldn't be asked. Didn't really need to. It's basically in the bag. And also, no one really gives a shit. But still, out with the old, in with a new version of the even older. All they needed to do in this conference was avoid major gaffes that could have uh, fatally undermined the Tory hand leading up to the election. And luckily they did that. No one stood on the platform and called for all women to be killed uh, or proposed the forced deportation of anyone with legs or announced plans to replace all of Britain's hospitals with snake farms. And it's going to take something of that magnitude to bolt it up from here. Exactly. David Cameron seems odds-on to become the next Prime Minister. It's hard to know what he'd have had to do. Uh, He could say something racist, but that's not going to shake off his base. Uh, It would have to have emerged that he was either personally responsible for the global financial meltdown or that he'd killed a prostitute. (laughs) Otherwise, Britain had better strap in. His, His speech as well, David Cameron, was another bad cover version of what happened in America this time last year. He used the word change 15 times. There really should be a moratorium on that word now. We all need to let it lie fallow for a while before it completely loses its meaning. (laughs) Also, it would be very interesting to see if it's physically possible for a modern politician to deliver a speech without that word now. (laughs) We need to put a fine system in place, similar to a swear box, except this time, every time you mention the word change, you need to smash the box into your face. William Hague, the uh, Foreign Secretary in waiting, he said, uh, we are ready for government, ready to bring change to this country. But this is exactly what Labour was saying last week, so I just don't know how to choose between them, John. They both seem to want change. They both say they're ready for government. What kind of man is the future Prime Minister David Cameron? Well, the short answer is, he's a complete (laughs) arsehole. The longer answer is this. I find the most illuminating way to judge British politicians is to imagine what they'd have been doing if they'd been alive during the British Empire. (laughs) I'm fairly sure that David Cameron would have been sitting in a rocking chair somewhere in India, wearing a pith helmet and ordering his troops to fire on unarmed civilians, and loving every minute of it. (laughs) 
In fact, I think he even said during a recent interview that he only had two regrets in life. One, saying the word twat on the radio during an interview recently. And two, not being born 200 years earlier. (laughs) What would Gordon Brown be doing in the British Empire? Well, he'd probably be just like a dour clerk somewhere in London. You know, he wouldn't have done any harm, I think. Right, Okay. So you'd vote for him on those grounds? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) No question about it. Just wouldn't have... David Cameron would have thrived during that time. And that is not a pleasant thing to say about someone. He would have had more tiger skin hats than you've had hot dinners. Exactly. He said some quite fascinating things during this speech, uh, John. There were some, uh, well, firstly, there were some entertaining cutaways to George Osborne, the shadow chancellor, who generally has the look on his face as if someone has smeared a dead fox inside his jacket but not told him. <laughs> Might just be the look of someone who is about to inherit an absolute shitstorm of a job. But it was interesting that um, he announced various measures that might be unpopular, raising the state pension age, freezing most public sector pay. Was he risking unpopularity? No. The Tories were not risking unpopularity because they are already unpopular. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Less than 10% of the voters at the recent European elections got off their blue arses to vote for them. So they're, they're in a fantastic position, John. It is hard to imagine a government that will have ever entered office in this country with lower public expectations. <laughs> and that means achievable goals, as yeah. any half arsed life coach will tell you. He started off by saying, we all know how bad things are, but I want to talk today about how good things could be. And my ears pricked up, John, but he didn't deliver. I was expecting rocket packs for all, but no. All he offered was things being a bit less shit than they are now. He said also, there's a steep climb ahead, but the view from the summit will be worth it. But you have to ask yourself, will it? What if it's just (laughs) the view of another mountain? Or of two goats rutting? Or even of a cable car house? Now, that will be doubly annoying, because not only will you not have a nice view, but you also realise you didn't have to make that climb in the first place. And it's an unambitious metaphor anyway, because what happens when you reach the summit of a mountain, John? You look at the view for a bit, you pose for a photo, and then you're toboggan back down. So he's basically saying, I'm going to temporarily raise Britain out of the doldrum it's in, and then I'm going to plant them straight back there. Maybe that's being realistic. I mean, he was trying to avoid any gaffes, as we say, and uh, there was one that did slip through. He was talking about the Defence Secretary. And uh, he said, instead of the revolving door, which he was saying that the current government has had for Defence Secretary, we need a politician of the front rank. So, no arguments, I guess. And then he continued, and in Liam Fox, we have one. <laughs> and this is where him and the country diverged. <laughs> this is like saying, I'm going to bring Britain a Wimbledon champion in the next five years, and that champion will be Alex Bogdanovich. <laughs> Go on the bog. <laughs> he also said, politics is about we, not about me. And you have oh, to ask, that is what great. the f- has happened to our <laughs> soundbite writers in this country? This nation has gone to the dogs. Uh, there was also some infantile controversy when Tory chairman Eric Pickles, who sounds like a Victorian orphan, little Eric Pickles have a gammy leg, yes he do, a <laughs> coughing and a spluttering, and with Christmas just around the corner as well. <laughs> Eric Pickles imposed a champagne ban for all visitors to the Conservative conference. In an interview with Evening Standard, he said it was their duty to look humble and should avoid offending voters with shows of extravagance. Basically, he said, I want to see less champagne bubbles and more bubbling activity before leaving a long, (laughs) excruciating pause, punctuated only by the microphone slightly feeding back, someone coughing at the back of the room and a tumbleweed blowing elegantly across the podium. Do you know, John, if he clicked his fingers and pointed his uh, pointed at the audience whilst winking? 
<laughs> after that line. He might have done. See, I wouldn't mind that comment as much if it wasn't something that he clearly planned, judged to be good, and looked forward to saying out loud. <laughs> and also, banning champagne does not make them appear more normal. It just implies that they normally drink so much champagne <laughs> that nothing short of an outright ban will suffice. That was another top story. Thank you for listening. Now do pop over to the Mothership and listen to the latest Bugle podcast. It's like this top story show, but longer and newer, and with things that aren't top stories, but are below the the top story. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you you must be so excited. Listen now.